G'day again, everyone. This is a long passage, so make sure you've got it open in front of you. If you do need a copy, put your hand up and someone will get one for you. But uh, I'll pray as we get underway. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for all we've been learning in the book of Romans so far. We pray as we now come to this important passage and think about faith and what it means that we are made righteous by faith. Help us to understand it, help us to uh, grapple with it, but more than anything, help us uh, to grow in that faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Back when I was at uh, school and at uni, I had all sorts of part-time jobs to uh, earn some money while I was going through. Uh, I worked as a tutor, I mowed lawns, I worked for a mail-order company with, uh, dealing with returns, which let me tell you, for a mail-order company, you know those ones on the back of uh, magazines, they get a lot of returns because most of their products don't actually work, so uh, that was a busy job. One of the best jobs I had was as a fabric dispersion officer. That's what we called ourselves, but uh, what we did was drive the dry cleaning delivery van and uh, we went around all the different agencies and picked up the dirty clothes, took them back to the central place where they got cleaned and took the clean clothes back. So we just drove this loop. Uh, It was hard to stay awake, I've got to say. It was actually very hard work because some of the bags of clothes were just massive. When you've got 20 coats in a bag, it's a massive, it's very heavy. And when you're taking the clean clothes back, they're all on coat hangers. And I'd end up with these gouges in my hand from carrying all the coat hangers over my hand back into the shop. So it was hard work. It was all worth it though on a Friday afternoon when you'd park the van and you'd go in and your pay envelope was there. Uh, Back then, the money didn't go into your bank account. Uh, You received cash in an envelope. And there was no better feeling for an 18-year-old guy than to rip off the top of that envelope and pull out $20 notes or $50, sometimes even a $100 note. That was pretty amazing back then for me anyway to get a $100 note. And here was the thing, I had earned that money. I'd worked for it, it was mine. Uh, And as I say, it was all worth it when you get that. But let me tell you though, if I had got there on the Friday and there was no pay packet, I would have been ropeable. I wasn't driving that fan for the fun of it. I, I was doing it for the money. That was very, very clear. That was the only reason I was doing this. I had worked hard. I was owed it. It wasn't a gift. Because a gift is different, isn't it? You don't earn a gift. Uh, I, if someone doesn't give you a gift, you can't complain. Uh, actually, I know people who can complain. So I... Uh, <laughs> But fair-minded people cannot complain when you don't give them a gift. It's just, it's just silly to say, you owe me a gift. At that point, it's stopped being a gift and become a wage. That's, that's just the reality. You earn wages. You can be proud of your hard work. A gift is just that. It's a gift. You don't earn it. You just receive it with thanks. Well, if we have learned nothing else over these first few weeks in the book of Romans, I hope we've learned one thing, and that is that the forgiveness that God offers, the righteousness we receive from Christ, is a free gift. You don't earn it. You don't work for it. God doesn't owe it to you. You just accept it. And how do we accept it? Give you a hint, that's not a rhetorical question. How do we accept it? By faith. By faith, and that is the greatest news that there has ever been because the truth is we can't earn it. The the truth is if we are just left to ourselves, there there would be no one righteous, not even one, as we read a, a couple of weeks ago. So God gives us the gift of righteousness. We are made right with God simply by faith in Jesus Christ. And that is why we praise God, isn't it? That's what what we sing about. It's what our, our songs and our hymns are about, is the greatest news 
that there has ever been. But it also raises a really important question, which is, well, what is faith? What is the, the faith that saves us? What, what, does it, what does it look like to believe and, and, and trust in Jesus? That's actually a really important question if we're saved by faith, isn't it? If you're saved by faith, you want to make sure you have faith. So you want to know what it is. Uh, but here's the thing. That's sort of our question we would logically ask next. The, the Bible, though, works with the questions the people back then would have asked. And so the listeners back then, especially the Jewish listeners, they had a different question. Their issue was, why has God suddenly changed the rules? Their, their thing was, God's been speaking to us forever. You know, it all started with Abraham. We sang about Abraham this morning. We read about Abraham. Abraham is the start of the Jewish nation. He's the start of the people with God. And they said, ever since then, righteousness has been about being circumcised. Ever since then, it's been about obeying the Old Testament law. That is who God considers to be righteous. So, so they would have thought, I mean, what, what is Jesus and Paul and, and these Christians, what, what, are, what are they saying? They're saying it's too easy. How can God suddenly be happy for anyone to be in his family, anyone from all the nations to be in his family, and all they have to do is believe? How can God change the rules now? I actually find that a lot of Christians have a similar question uh, because I find a lot of Christians sort of think that in the Old Testament, God said it was all about works, but in the New Testament, God says it's all about grace. They, they think that's actually the way God worked and things changed with Jesus and, and so forth. It's amazing how when we do the intro of the Bible course, halfway through, people start to realise, no, it's one gospel that's been going on. I'm giving away the answer. But, but that is the question Paul's turning to in this chapter. That's their question at this time. How can God change the rules? But the thing is, as he answers their question, he actually answers our question and we learn so much. So even though it's not the question we would have asked, as we grapple with the passage, we're actually going to find our questions are answered. And his answer to their question is actually really simple. He says, God hasn't changed anything. He says, God has always and only ever related to people by faith. No one has ever been saved by their works. It's always been by faith. And so what Paul does is he says to Jews, I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to prove it to you by going back to the two people you respect more than anyone else. I'm going to go back and, and explain it to you by looking at your two greatest heroes, Abraham and David. It'd be a bit like explaining something about the American Constitution to an American and saying, I'm going to prove it to you by showing you what George Washington thought and Abraham Lincoln thought. Or, or to an Australian about cricket and saying it's what Don Bradman thought and Shane Warne thought. You, you know, that sort of thing. Whatever works for you, whoever your two greatest authorities are. So Paul says, I'll use Abraham and David. I'll show you that even these two great ones were only ever saved by faith. So it can all sound a bit academic, uh, that... But as I say, we have to have our questions in mind. And so as he answers that question, as he shows that, keep thinking about, but what is this faith that saves? Because that's what we're going to discover as we go through. And I think that's helpful because as I said before, if you're saved by faith, you want to make sure you've got it. Uh, but more than that, I find a lot of people are very confused about what faith actually is. So come with me. I've broken the chapter into three parts. We're going to look at each in turn. Verses 1 to 8, we're going to look at faith and righteousness. Verses 9 to 15, we're going to consider faith versus signs of faith. And then finally, part 3 from verse 16, we're going to learn from Abraham's faith. So the first part, faith and righteousness, come to verse 1. It says, what then can we say 
that Abraham, our physical ancestor, has found. If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to brag or boast about. So as I said before, Abraham, he was the father of Israel. Every Jew was physically descended from Abraham. That is what it meant to be a Jew, to be able to say, I can trace my family line back to Abraham. And you can read Abraham's story in Genesis 11 to 25. And in fact, if you've got kids in kids' church, go and read that because they're learning about that in kids' church. But the thing about Abraham was many of the Jews believed he was the great example of righteousness. They believed God had chosen him because he was so righteous. Now, if you've ever read Genesis, you know that that's not true, don't you? I hope you do if you've read Genesis. Abraham was a full-on pagan. It wasn't like Abraham was seeking after God and God said, oh, I've found this really godly guy, now I'll choose him. Abraham was worshipping the sun. He was worshipping pagan gods when God came and spoke to him out of nowhere. He wasn't seeking God. He was just like everyone else, but God came and chose him. You see, Abraham was a sinner, just like us. More than that, even after God called him, at different times, Abraham was a liar. Just think back over his life, if you know it. He was a liar. He was a coward. He was even an adulterer. So, so Abraham is not a model of inherent righteousness. But like us, God accepted him despite his sin. Like us, he was made right with God. How? By faith. Quentin said it. No one else did. By faith. Thank you. There we go. And so he quotes Genesis 15 verse 6 to prove that. He says, Abraham had nothing to bag about. Look at verse, verse 3. It says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. You see, God came along and he made Abraham incredible promises. He made him these promises of land and descendants and blessings. Had Abraham done anything to deserve it? Nothing. But what he did was believe what God said. The key word there, look there in, in verse 3 again, the key word there is credited. This chapter is finally the chapter for the accountants. Are there any accountants or people who work in finance or anything here today? Put your, put your arm up. Tall and proud. Come on, don't, don't, be, don't be bashful. I'm so annoyed James Flavin's not here today, that he's, he's away on holidays. I, I'm really annoyed because James loves being proud of being an accountant. This is James's chapter. Uh, if you imagine a great heavenly book of accounts, or you imagine your bank statement where, when it comes in, or a spreadsheet, on every page there is someone's name at the top. So there's Abraham's page, there is David's page, there's Phil's page, there, there, there is Rick's page, there is whoever's page. There it is. And if we turned up Abraham's page, there would be a great list down the debit column. That's the bad column. There would be a great list and it would be exactly the same on my page and exactly the same on your page. Uh, there would be all these sins listed out. But then in that book, there would be a red line through all of those debits. And then on the credit side, there would just be two words, declared righteous. All the sin crossed out and on the credit side, declared righteous. And what would be the date next to that? What would be the date of that transaction? The day he believed. The day he trusted God. The day he came to faith. See, that's the point there in verses 4 and 5. Look with me. It says, Now to the one who works, pay is not considered as a gift, but as something owed. But to the one who does not work, but believes on him who declares the ungodly to be righteous, his faith is credited for righteousness. 
See, we saw it last week. Jesus has paid the price for our sin. His death has turned aside God's righteous anger. How did you go at using the word propitiation during the week? I'm sure you all used it in a, in a no, no one did. No, but that's what we learned last week. And so when we believe in Jesus, when we put in our trust in him, when we have faith, Jesus gives us his righteousness. Just like Jesus took our sin on himself, as we saw last week. It's the great exchange. The debit of our sin goes on to Jesus, but the credit of his righteousness comes on to us. And so as it says there, it's one of the most beautiful lines, God declares the ungodly to be righteous. It's not like we've suddenly become godly. It's not like we've suddenly earned it. No, God takes us, even though we're ungodly, and declares us to be righteous. Now, if you look further on, verses 6 to 8, he makes the same point about the other great hero of the Old Testament, King David. He says, look, David didn't earn his righteousness either. You cannot miss the fact that David is a sinner if you read your Old Testament, can you? David was the king of sinners. That's what he was. But what did he do? He turned to God and said, I'm sorry for my sin and I trust in you. And so God declared David righteous because of his faith. And so what is good enough for the two greatest heroes of the Bible, other than Jesus, what's good enough for Abraham, what's good enough for David is good enough for you and me. We are no different. We don't earn our righteousness. Instead, we believe in him who declares the ungodly to be righteous and gives us this wonderful gift. Jesus' death squares the ledger between us and God and we take a hold of it by faith. Faith is the key. Now, that is the greatest news we will ever hear. That There is no greater news than that. It's the greatest news because if that wasn't an option, there is no hope for any of us. There is no hope for anyone if we could not receive the gift of righteousness because we cannot earn. Remember, there is no one righteous, not even one, as we learned through all the first three chapters. So what are we to do? Never take that for granted. Just keep trusting in the one who declares the ungodly like me and you to be righteous. We're still left asking, what is faith? What does it look like to trust and and believe? Before we see that, we're going to see what faith isn't, because that's actually helpful. So my second point, faith versus signs of faith. Come to verses 9 to 15. It is so easy to mistake religion for faith. And people have been doing it for thousands of years. It is so easy to mistake religion for faith. Or another way of putting that is to mistake the signs of faith for faith itself. So look at verse 9. It starts with a question. It says, is this blessing only for the circumcised then, or is it also for the uncircumcised? Now, I must admit, I, I don't get asked that question very often. In, in over 20 years of pastoral ministry, I've never had someone come to me and ask me that question. We don't, we don't get that one often at the life course as, as the first question. I don't think anyone here cares very much about who's circumcised or, or who's not. We don't do an inspection before people join the church to, to check up. It is really hard for us to understand what a big deal circumcision was for the Jews. Circumcision, the removal of the male foreskin, was the physical sign given to Abraham by God to set apart those who belong to God. It separated God's people from those who didn't belong to God. Every Jewish boy was circumcised. They still are. But you see, circumcision was only ever meant to be the outward sign 
of an inward spiritual reality. It was the outward sign that someone was a person of faith. But the problem was the sign had become more important than the reality. And the Jews began to trust in the sign rather than what the sign pointed to. Over time, they began to think that that was what made the difference, that you were circumcised, that you obeyed the Old Testament law. Paul just knocks that right on the head, and he does it by talking about Abraham again. Come with me to verse 9. And he says, For we say, faith was credited to Abraham for righteousness. In what way, then, was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised. You see what he's doing? He's saying, when did this great transaction happen? Did it happen before or after Abraham was circumcised? Then he says, not while he was circumcised, but uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while still uncircumcised. See, the timing matters this week, I was watching on the news last night and there's, this, there's a federal politician and it all comes down to when did you find out this information? Was it before or, or after? Well, it's the same here. When did Abraham come to faith? Was it before or after he was circumcised? And the point is, if you read Genesis, it was after he was circumcised was. See, circumcision didn't make Abraham righteous. It showed what he already was by faith. Now, as I said, I do not think people here at St. George North have a problem with circumcision. Not that I'm aware of anyway. I, I, I'm not aware of anyone going around our gospel teams saying to people, you're not a Christian if you haven't been circumcised. This is where we've got to remember our struggles are different. Our problems are different to the ones they had back then. That's what Paul was dealing with. People coming around, Jewish teachers coming around saying, oh, no, no, faith in Jesus is not enough. You need to be circumcised as well. Even though it's not our problem, though, it raises an issue for us. Because Christians often confuse the signs with the reality. There are all sorts of signs or indicators of faith. Things Christians must and should do if we are people of faith. Baptism is a sign that someone is a Christian. We had a baptism here at the nine o'clock service this morning. Wonderful sign, but baptism doesn't save us. Attending church, reading the Bible, they're all signs or indicators of faith, but they do not save us. And so sometimes, like the Jewish Christians, the Jews who Paul was dealing with, we can start to care more about the signs than the reality. See, I was baptised, I'm okay, even though there is no real personal faith and relationship with God. I'm a member of, of an Anglican church, I'm okay, even though there is no real personal faith. It doesn't mean don't do those things, by the way. They are uh, acts of godliness, they're meant to be gifts God gives us to confirm our faith and to strengthen our faith, but don't rely on them. The reality is there will be plenty of people in heaven who were never baptised with water and there will be more than a few in hell who were baptised with water. Faith is the key, not the signs of faith. Don't confuse the sign with the reality. Well, now we come to the last section where we get to that question I've been raising. What does saving faith look like? So our last heading, learning from Abraham's faith. This is verses 16 to 25. See, the Jews were wrong to think that Abraham was the great example of righteousness, but they were right to think he was the great example. They just had what he was an example of wrong. He's the great example of faith. 
Now, Abraham's story is a great one. You can read about it yourself. There is a reason the Bible gives over 15 chapters to Abraham's story, much more than most people in the Bible. But Paul gives us a summary here. So look with me from verse 17, halfway through. It's quite a long section, so follow along as I read it out. It says, He, Abraham, believed in God who gives life to the dead and calls things into existence that do not exist. He believed, hoping against hope, so that he became the father of many nations according to what had been spoken. So will your descendants be. He considered his own body to be already dead since he was about 100 years old and also considered the deadness of Sarah's womb without weakening in the faith. He did not waver in unbelief as God's, at God's promise but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God because he was fully convinced that what he had promised he was able to perform. Now, what are we reading about there? We're reading about the story that started in Genesis 15 that we read this morning and, and how God came to this old man with his old wife and how they didn't have children and yet God made this outlandish promise to him that you are going to have descendants as numerous as the sand on the seashore, the stars in the night sky. You are going to be the father of many nations and through you, all your offspring and in fact, the whole world will be blessed. He's talking about that story and what Abraham did with it. And there's so much we can learn about faith from Abraham's example. But two things I want to draw out. You might draw out another five in your gospel team during the week. But two I want to draw out. And the first is this. Saving faith is in the promises of God. See, God gave Abraham a promise that he would be the father of many nations. And so Abraham believed God's promise God, I trust that you will make what you have said happen. And that faith was only worthwhile because the one making the promise was trustworthy. You see, his faith wasn't in some vague hope that God will be nice to me. His faith was specifically in the promise God had made to him and it was valid faith because the God who made the promise was trustworthy. So we need to remember that faith is only as good as what we put our faith in. Abraham trusted God to do the things God had promised he would do. He didn't just believe God was good in, in some vague sense. He believed in those specific promises that God had made to him. I, too often I talk to people who say they are Christian, who, who say they have faith. And when I ask, what is your trust in? It's in some vague hope that God is good. Some vague hope that God will be nice to me. Or, some, or other people say to me, I wish I had your faith as if somehow I'm special for having faith and they, they wish they had faith like me. Everybody has faith. Everyone trusts in something. We, you had faith that your alarm clock would go off this morning. I joked at the 9am service that a few people need to get a better alarm clock to trust in because they were late for church, but I, I wouldn't joke about that at this service. But see, our faith is only worthwhile if the thing we trust in is working. You can trust in your alarm clock all you want. If it isn't plugged in, you'll still be in bed. See, you have faith that I'll pick you up at 7 o'clock like I promised to, to take you to gospel team on Wednesday night. If I'm not reliable, you can have all the faith you want. You'll still be standing on the curb waiting for me at midnight. See, it's what our faith is in that matters. It is, is it in something or is it in someone that is trustworthy? This is really important to understand. It is not a vague faith in God that saves. It's faith in the one God revealed in Jesus Christ, the one true God 
revealed in Jesus Christ and faith in the promises that he has made. That is what saves. And so what are the promises God has made you? What is our faith in? What is saving faith? Look down at verse 24. He says, Abraham's faith is written as an example for us because, look there, it will be credited to us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. That Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses or our sins and raised for our justification. See, that is the faith that saves. The faith that saves is centred on Jesus Christ. And it's not just faith in facts about Jesus. It's not just, I believe that Jesus died. It's not just that I believe that he rose again. It's that I believe that he died for my trespasses. That he died for my sins. That he died to take the punishment I deserve. And I believe that he rose again. And that that proves that God has vindicated his death. That proves that I am justified. That proves I'm now a child of God. That is the promise that saves. That is the promise we believe in. Faith is saying, I trust in Jesus, so now I know I am right with God. I trust in Jesus, so I know when Jesus returns to judge, God will welcome me into his kingdom. This is why saving faith and assurance go together. See, my test of whether someone actually trusts in Jesus is when you ask them, when you stand before God, if, if, God came, if Jesus returned today or if you, were, if, if you died today and you had to stand there in front of God and he said to you, why? Why would I let you be in my kingdom? If your answer is, well, I hope you would, you haven't got it. The Christian has assurance because they say, I trust in what Jesus has done for me and so I know that God has forgiven me. I know that God has declared me to be righteous. That's saving faith. Second thing, though, about Abraham's faith we see here is this, and it's the last thing, that he believed despite his circumstances. God promised him he would have all these descendants. How was that looking when he received that promise? How was that looking for Abraham? He didn't have any children. He was about 100. His wife was 90. And they'd been trying forever, but Sarah's womb was barren. All the circumstances suggested there was no way God could fulfill his promise. How do you think people responded when Abraham said to them, I'm going to have a child? They would have, even he laughed at one point in, in a moment of weakness. Even he laughed that, that how could God possibly do this? But Abraham said, despite the circumstances, God has made me this promise. Even though all the evidence suggests it could not happen, Abraham did not waver in unbelief. He kept trusting, he kept believing. Why? Because of what he knew of the God who made the promise. Look at verse 17. It says, he believed in the God who gives life to the dead. Abraham says, well, if God can give life to the dead, he can give me this child. He believed in the God, it says there, who calls things into existence that do not exist. He believes in the God who made everything out of nothing. So he believed that God could do anything. So how could Abraham believe when all his circumstances told him God couldn't do this? Because he believed in the God who can raise the dead and create anything from nothing. That is faith. Trusting in the promises of God because of who we know God to be. And trusting even when it seems it's unlikely God could make these promises come true. Now, faith is so much easier for us than it was for Abraham. Abraham is a hero 
because for him to, faith was, to have faith was incredible. For us, it is so much. We live this side of Jesus. Our faith is grounded in what we know God has already done. We have the scriptures that tell us about Jesus' death as a fact of history, about his resurrection as a, a fact of history. We have it so much better than Abraham. But even so, like Abraham, sometimes we are all tempted to doubt God's goodness, to doubt God's mercy, to doubt God's grace. Sometimes faith is hard. Sometimes things seem to cast doubt on God's promises. All sorts of things can rock us, can't they? All sorts of things can make us question God's promises. Sometimes it's my own sin. And I think, am I really forgiven? You know, how could I be forgiven? Sometimes it's our lack of prayer. We say, you know, you know, am I really a, a Christian if I find it so hard to talk to my, my Heavenly Father? Sometimes it's external things. We start to wonder, is God really good? Because he seems to be letting bad things happen to me at the moment. You know, tragedies happen. You're struck by sickness. Your, your family is struck by sickness. You lose your job. Friends and family let us down and hurt us. Sometimes our church family lets us down and hurts us. Sometimes it's just really hard to keep trusting but like Abraham, faith means continuing to hold on to the promises of God even when they do seem distant and even when they do seem impossible. And like Abraham, we strengthen our faith by reminding ourselves over and over again of what we know to be true about the God we trust in. We remind ourselves over and over again of what we know to be true about the power and goodness of the God we trust in. We look constantly back to the death of Jesus and remind ourselves, God gave his only son for me. We remind ourselves daily of his resurrection. We say, God keeps his word. I am right with God. God keeps his promises. He will not ever let me down. So we remind ourselves that we know even better than Abraham that our God can give life to the dead. We know that better than Abraham because we live after the resurrection of Jesus. So when you are tempted to doubt, remind yourself of the promises God has made to you. Remind yourself of the goodness of God. Remind yourself of the God you know and then believe and trust in him because that is the faith that God credits as righteousness. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are saved by a free gift given to us because we know we are not righteous and we do not deserve it. We thank you that we can take a hold of that gift by faith because, again, if it were by works, then none of us would be righteous. So, Father, we pray that we would never lose sight of just how wonderful it is that we are saved by grace through faith. And so, Father, help us to follow the example of Abraham, trusting in your promises because we know that you are good and trustworthy and true and trusting even when our circumstances seem driven to make us doubt. We pray that we would persevere like Abraham. And so, Father, we thank you that our faith is credited as righteousness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.